superb. Thank you for asking. That was a good word. That was a good <laughs> word. All right, so I'm just going to ask like some questions because I know you are very involved in like climate change and stuff and um, talking about it and, you know, you do stuff with it. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and hopefully you get like, you know, your opinions on it, which I know you will. So my first question is to ask is, Climate change is a very broad spectrum and like you know has like many definitions to it and to different people. So what does it mean to you? What does climate change mean to you? Climate change? Mm-hmm. I think from on a, a scientific standpoint, it's more of how climate itself gradually changes over time so it differentiates from weather because it's not it doesn't come in a daily form it's more periodic but if i'm talking more from personal standpoint climate change is not just about the temperature or seasons but it's also about how it's affecting the ecology uh, as a result of those two things and a lot of it uh, one thing i would like to highlight is through agriculture mm-hmm. as a, a, a urban farmer here in new haven one of the things that we're most concerned about is drought and pollinators those two things go hand in hand because it obviously helps our produce thrive and when there's inconsistencies on either one that will ultimately affect what we produce for our local neighborhoods. And so we do have plumbing that comes directly from the city. But when it comes to pollinators, that's something that the government obviously doesn't regulate as much as plumbing. And so we make sure that we put in flowers in particular where pollinators can thrive but oftentimes that there there does carry a risk where if we don't turn on our irrigation systems the it we ultimately depend on the rain so last season 2020 things seemed good and when i say seemed because i've only been there for a year so the farm manager has told me that the farm actually was thriving years beforehand but because of the rising temperatures it's ultimately affecting the pollinators and it's not for our benefit but it also everyone else's benefit because um pollinators aren't exclusive to farms it's really everywhere else so if i were to summarize my experience it really is uh it's not a matter of thing like weather and temperature changing but also the ecology and lifestyle with it that's that's a good answer. I'm glad you kind of brought that up because my whole SAP is based on agriculture. Like majority of it is based on agriculture and like food deserts and food systems. Like that's like my second part of it. But you mentioned something about like pollinators. So can you like elaborate more on that and explain to people who may not know what that is? So pollinators are essentially are anything that flies or moves creatures i would say so even squirrels are included they might be seen yes squirrels are a pollinator so they're not here like licking or sucking on the nectar of flowers but if you think of the trees that exist today we have to think squirrels as a result the forgetfulness that they just placed their acorn and forgot it next season so things happen incidentally while as with like for instance the classic bumblebees there's also like other beetles um flies they're often seen as like pests but they're not as romanticized as bumblebees but there are definitely an assortment of flying little things that contribute to 
really the creation of the things that we see that are that is nature flowers um trees and bushes too but it's a little more complicated but in simplification sense yeah because flies are like pretty ugly and no one likes them they land on your food and you can't mm-hmm. eat it afterwards so it just ruins it mm-hmm. and also i think are, is it true that butterflies like are pollinators too or no yes they are pollinators um i don't know to what extent scientifically but based on my observations it's not limited to just butterflies it's also moths too mm-hmm. um but again both moths and butterflies look very similar like structurally but when it comes to like who we favor and who we detest i think it's really obvious who's the preferred pollinator yeah uh, yeah that, that's pretty <laughs> clear like bees and stuff um, so, to my second question, like, and you kind of already touched on it before, but like, what do you do specifically in your community for climate change? So, for me, I think my work as a farmer is a microcosm of addressing climate change in the sense where I am producing food that requires less production in terms of putting it on a truck, wrapping it in plastic. Mm-hmm letting it potentially expire because it's sitting on the shelf all that reduces the emissions and waste that are involved with higher chain food productions that we go to like say stop and shop or shop right uh in addition not just about the production of things but the process to producing things so behind the scenes we tet we try to work as organically as possible although we're not organically certified we try to do customized soil cocktails which means that whatever the soil may lack or have an abundance of a certain mineral we try to balance out the soil itself by adding meal or kelp or any little minerals that can really create a a, a good balance of soil that can can have pretty much anything grow there and so going forward with that we are trying to minimally rely on harmful pesticides because it doesn't just harmful to people it's harmful to the environment as well because if there are little insects that can't exist in the root systems not just things that fly to other plants is you'll kill them all and then it's just you have a void of soil so it might look healthy but if we're looking at a microscopic level it's not so it's just things here and there that do contribute to climate change again a lot of it is reducing the pollution and the waste and recycling some of the resources that we have there such as compost which is locally produced by another organization yeah food systems like specifically is when you talked about like stop and shop like my mom stopped shopping there because when she would get like the ground beef it would be like a a fresh layer on the top but when you open it like and you dig deeper in it it'll be spoiled mm-hmm. and they give that to people which is absolutely a violation of health <laughs> yeah. and like a violation of just everything like why would you give like spoiled meat to somebody and that also touches on like the food systems of food desert so how can we fix those like broken food deserts and broken food systems that are obviously uh very popular especially within this area of new haven when you look around it's like a lot of not a lot of grocery stores mm-hmm. are not a lot of 
um, nutritional markets and healthy food markets, and if they are, they're very expensive, like no one can really afford them, or they have to travel outside the New Haven area to like just buy fresh produce and vegetables, which is very unfortunate because what they're getting at the corner store is like a whole bunch of preservatives and chemicals that are not healthy for the human body. So like, how can we improve and fix that for people? Absolutely, and I've actually had this conversation with many friends like, how do we dismantle the system that's working against the people, not for the people? Mm-hmm. Definitely with reclaiming our land, and I'll be more specific. So I understand the dynamics of everyday lives. Not everyone can contribute to a community garden or community farm, but in terms of reclaiming land, there are people who can dedicate the time, whether they're retired or volunteer. Really, there's always going to be a spectrum of people who wants to help for the greater good. It's just a matter of understanding what they specifically need. So, for instance, for me, as where I work is primarily in Fairhaven, but we do have some spots like in the hill and somewhere else, I forget. But it, it's mostly Fairhaven. And there is, don't get me wrong, we're not a perfect farm. We're, we're still far from perfect, but our intention is to really try to produce food that can be consumed within a reasonable time standard. So one of the issues that we primarily have, despite that we're a farm, is that we don't provide enough culturally um, foods that are culturally known. And what I mean by that is it's primarily Latinx people. So we bring in things like Swiss chard or what was it, kohlrabi. Uh, for me, I, we're, those foods seem really foreign, but yeah. there's an abundance of them. So why produce so much if they're not going to be sold? They do ultimately end up being donated to staff or volunteers or even soup kitchens. But what if we created a more sustainable farm area where people can eat those things right away and it's all right. sold out? So it's a win-win on, on our end and the people's end so going back to the bigger point i made it's like what if we didn't have to depend so much on our farm but people can create their smaller farms and i understand it is complex when it comes to government regulation on like what can the land can be used is it suitable to grow anything who's going to take care of it it's all these underlying questions but people shouldn't feel intimidated off the complexity, but more empowered that there is the option for us today where we can use our time more wisely, especially during the pandemic, and try to transform our land into something that's healthy for us and for the environment. Because these are definitely most popular in black and brown communities where it's very overcomplicated and not really broken down when it can be just a simple answer, but it has to be more of like a complex solution yes. for them to get what they need so they could stay healthy because of how big like diabetes mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. in the community, and especially in the black community, like diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, because there's not a lot of access to healthy food and that can be easily fixed by just, you know, people coming in and showing them like the farming that you were talking mm-hmm. about and or just even going to the people in our city which brings me to my next question like do you think the government like nationally like you know like the president and even local government are they doing enough to 
help prevent climate change and also helping the community as well? My short answer is no, they're Mm -hmm. not doing enough. Uh, Just to see in comparison to white suburbs, that's where black and brown communities should be. But there's obviously a plethora of systematic obstacles that have been um, intentionally or unintentionally, Mm -hmm. quote, unintentionally, place them, right? And so what I would say from a national level, I think the first thing that people have to recognize is the people, not so much the problem, because we're so focused on like climate issues or like these very broad things that are very hard to conceptualize for some but if we're really focusing on a more humanitarian aspect like people need to eat healthy ultimately or people need to thrive if we start phrasing it in a more people oriented way I think some may be more inclined to find solutions rather than like what's climate change and what can be done because as for someone who overthinks if someone addresses me something i i don't even know where to begin but that's not to say that the government should rely completely on always being fed the answers they need to seek the answers back to creating a dual relationships amongst the government and amongst the people to really pinpoint the issues and another thing too there's no one answer to addressing this. We have to understand that because so, and this is like anywhere you go, this extends beyond climate change, where we try to find this neat or uniform answer and when we put it into practice, somehow it fails and it's like, oh, we need to find another like perfect solution. It's like, no, solutions come as a process and if we learn along the way, then we can understand what works and what doesn't Mm -hmm. or improved or whatever. It's a spectrum. Instead of treating things black and white, this is a journey journey ultimately for everybody. Mm -hmm. And now more on the local level, this is where I hold people Mm -hmm. more accountable here. Because everyone loves to talk change, building, empowerment. And it's like, are you walking the walk here? And ultimately it comes down to holding us accountable too. I think oftentimes we rely on leaders, aldermen, presidents, Mm -hmm. people with this high leadership power, but ultimately it's not enough. And I'm not blaming us because we also have lives and we're dealing with other things. And it just comes down to just really understanding what we want from our leaders and what the what the leaders can benefit from us again having this dual relationship because oftentimes politicians uses um poverty or any very big words to incite division but what they're doing is they're forgetting what they're here for it's to help it's to aid it's to empower it's to all these positive aspects that we expect from a politician or a person of power but then they get lost in this whole like well he should she said i'll support this but not that it's like there's too much we need to have at least a common goal or consensus on the idea of addressing these things because that's where we're actually start churning the gears here yeah and it's like we can go on about (laughs) you know how much how many times politicians have let us down with their lip service and have used 
poverty and climate change as a crux to get votes but not really necessarily doing anything about it. And I feel like New Haven, um, I've heard some things about them like reducing something with the buses and like helping, you know, less pollution. I don't know if I'm correct on that, but I think I heard about it. But I I really think that we could do better because I feel like we are the city that um, that has these, you know, healthy nutritional things going on, especially with like farming mm-hmm. and like I see a whole bunch of healthy supermarkets downtown and stuff like that. And I feel like we could be so much better if we just had like the right people. Because if the politicians aren't gonna do it, like we have to do it. Yes, absolutely. And it's mostly us. It's mostly like the people who are actually like the everyday people who walk down the street and see these things. Cause that's how I came about this is like growing up in my everyday life and growing up in New Haven all my life, noticing the weather patterns, noticing how many like food deserts there were in the city alone and it like really bothered me. And that's like you don't see our local politicians doing anything about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And that leads me to like my other question. It's like, what policy, excuse me, what policy do you think can be made besides like the Green New Deal that happened in Washington that can help climate change? Good question. If I had had him create some (laughs) policy, let's see. Uh, it's kind of hard uh, to title it, but I think I could describe it and then maybe I'll yeah. think of a title more you do towards that, the end. This isn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say... Hmm. Have more incentives or grants geared towards local urban agriculture Mm -hmm. because people are often and I come from a low income background Mm -hmm. when you go to a farmer's market a pound of tomato is like four dollars you go to like anywhere else it's like a dollar 98 cents something right way like so much cheaper I don't feel inclined to go to a farmer's market. I just can't afford it. It looks nice. It's appealing. I love the atmosphere. But if I can't contribute my money, then what am I contributing to? I'm left out completely. And I understand that there's WIC, there's uh, senior vouchers where people can go in to receive a discount. But what about students? What about people like me? I don't fall under the student, elderly or pregnant with children. I don't fall under that. So where can I get help? I can ask for a discount, but that's a risk. That's almost a, a little bit embarrassing, but at the same time, it's a, it's a reality of where we're standing socioeconomically, where how we still treat food as a classist way and with if even if we don't get national support at least at the state or city support where there's grants everywhere and governments really know how to work the system when it comes to grants to their favor so that they are leaning towards empowering people they would use that money wisely and have them take control over some of that grant money because when you start dividing power 
people will notice that right away. They're not dependent anymore. It's a collective movement at this point. And when I say movement, I actually want to scratch that. It's a journey because when I think of movement, it sounds more temporal. I want this to be more long-term. Mm-hmm. I agree because it, it's like it has created a whole new minority just to get food. Yes! It's literally, I'm just like, so where do we stand? Because when you go to Whole Foods, like you go to Whole Foods and you see stuff like for $5, like for one thing, like a water bottle, <laughs> special water for five bucks or like, like, like or an orange just for like five bucks. Yeah. It's like, yeah. if I go to ShopRite, it should be like a dollar or not even a dollar. It'll be like a couple of cents per orange mm-hmm, and, yeah, mm-hmm. per vegetable and I thought it was like very very classic because it's just like we get like these other corporations like Whole Foods and like Chair Joe's and whatnot are made for healthy it's targeted towards people who want to be healthy and targeted yep. towards people who have the money to mm. be healthy mm-hmm. properly but it's like you're creating a whole new minority that does not need to be a minority because people need food and people need the right food and and we just need to afford it and so this is my last and final question before we wrap up do you have any advice or just you know words of wisdom for the people out there that are listening in terms of what um climate change or just you know how to help your community in like the best way possible yes i would say that no matter how small you're contributing it's always towards a purpose that you're creating for yourself I think oftentimes we get lost with, and this happened to me plenty of times, you're going to change the world one day. And when you tell someone something so broad, it's like, what am I doing that can possibly change the world? Like, I can do anything and create a change, but what change is that? Be as specific as you can, but as broad in practice. Because when you find a purpose in the smallest niche, that's where your passion will will express itself in the best way and when it comes back to me as an urban farmer that was the last job I would ever think I would get my hands on literally and metaphorically because it was treated as a job that was looked down upon again going with the classes thing farms aren't valued despite that they literally feed every single person literally in this world they don't get paid enough not at all like fishermen they don't get paid enough they're exploited so much so horrible but when i started seeing myself how i connected with my ancestors who come from an agricultural background and then seeing the smile on people's faces when they receive something so local to them, like as local as across the street, it made purpose and sense for me. Like, I don't need to be in the front lines of some marching, which no judgment on them, but that's just not my personality. I'm more service oriented. I'm going to do it because I, that's what I want ultimately. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time off your lunch hour specifically because I, I know you're hungry and, and lunch is a very serious thing. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. It was really, thank you for having me here. Of course. I, I just. Hello everyone, Um, my name is Corinne Hardy and I want to talk about something that is very important to me. 
which is climate change. When you think about climate change, all you really think about is the weather, but it's more than that. It's farming and food production. It's recycling. And it's even racism as well. Climate change is one big spectrum of issues that need to be talked about and solved. It makes you wonder whose fault it is. Who should be stepping up more? Should it be adults or the youth? Or who do we put to blame all politicians or just regular human beings or everyday people? So in this episode I'm going to be talking about today is, you know, youth activism and why I think it's important for the youth to step up as we are the future of the generation. Um, and one of the most uh, well-known youth activists for climate change is the Greta Thunberg. And she is one of the most popular youth activists in the world today. Um, she has spoken at the United Nations, the U.S. Congress, the U.K. and European Parliament. Um, and very well known for calling out world calling out uh, world leaders and inspiring the school climate strike, um, which is where uh, kids uh, skip school to protest for climate change. So basically, she's just an all-around uh, bad, you know what. <laughs> and when I was researching her, she said something that was very interesting and very um, powerful, in my opinion. Um, for way too long, the politicians and the people in power have gotten away with not doing anything to fight the climate crisis. But we will make sure that they will not get away with it any longer. We are striking because we have done our homework and they have not. And I think that is very powerful because she's absolutely right. The people who we put in office, they do not care about what goes on in the atmosphere. It's not their priority for the most part. Even when they say that, yeah, we're using fossil fuels and we know what's bad for the environment, we know what's bad for climate change, but we're going to do something about it, which is basically just lip service to like to get us at our hopes up and then they're not going to do anything. So basically, we have to do it because we have done the research, we have done our homework because if they don't know, we have to tell them and we have to keep pushing it until they get our point, which Greta is doing, especially with the uh, school climate strike. Because as youth, we, they act like, like adults always say, we are the next generation, we are the future. And to an extent, it's true, even though it sounds very overwhelming. Um, if we want change, the everyday people have to be the change of the politicians and uh, all these other people who we vote for are not going to do it because they won't if if it's not being pushed against them. And how I've become so passionate about climate change is the fact that I've seen it in my everyday life because it happens. Like, you know, you see, you see, um, uh, droughts happening more than usual. You see less snow especially in Connecticut where you literally get snowstorms and blizzards because we are in the northeast but you we haven't had one probably since like the last year or so and I thought that was very very weird and I it kept asking questions that people can just not really answer 
um and it makes me wonder like well if this stuff is going around and happening around us then how come no one is doing anything about it because i feel like if the world is hurting and the world is struggling right now and it's right in front of our eyes how come there's no one pushing the issue of trying to save the world which i thought was very odd another thing that greta thunberg said was that at first when i heard about climate change i was a climate denier i didn't think it was happening because if there really was an existential crisis like that that would threaten our civilization we would be focusing on anything we wouldn't be focusing on anything else excuse me so that another thing that she said absolutely true if if the world was going through a crisis especially in the atmosphere about how it affects the way we live and breathe and uh just being people then how come no one is doing anything about it and and there's a whole bunch of people in office mostly like republicans that don't believe in it and just and don't believe in the science of it when it's literally in front of them like it it's it's either it's either something that doesn't exist to them or just like they just don't believe in it and there's the evidence to prove it to them but they just don't want to believe in it and even though politicians in the white house like uh alexandria ocasio cortez has you know uh, suggested the green new deal and i'm pretty sure it's a real uh bill now or and and i don't really know what that is going to do per se but hopefully it does something because they actually decided to do something about it so hopefully that that uh works in the future but um i don't really i don't really know it's just something that we have to really work hard for and really pressure the people in office about and this is what this whole series is about is about climate change and who who like whose hands can we put this issue in like can we it, it just can't be one person like all of us has to do it climate change is man-made human beings are responsible for how the world is and that sounds very overwhelming but it's a fact we 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 uh we put factories that cause pollution and we're using fossil fuels and it, it just causes pollution in the air and affects our breathing and we we use things that are not healthy for the earth and she's dying because the world is like basically on fire we're having forest fires we 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 have food deserts which are uh areas in the community mostly in black and brown communities that don't have a lot of access to nutritional foods which is nonsense because it makes more of a minority within itself just to eat, which shouldn't be happening at all. It's inhumane. So who who needs to step up besides the politicians? What's up, everyone? Welcome back to my climate change podcast. This is the final episode of this podcast um, of climate change and me breaking it down. Um, And the topic for this episode is environmental racism. Yes, it's a real thing. The environment is high-key racist. And 
I'm about to show y'all why. And some people don't even know it's real because I went into a dip top on decision day, May 1st, and an employee noticed that I was going to Eastern because I had my gear on. And he talked about how he studied uh, environmental sciences. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm for my senior action project. I'm doing stuff about climate change and environmental racism. And he was like, oh, I don't know anything about that. But if you need anything about the weather, just let me know. I was just like, dang, he's an environmental science major. He knows nothing about that. Which I'm like, well, ignorance is bliss. And maybe people don't want to get into it and believe that there's racism in our environment, which it clearly is. But I'm about to break it down. So environmental racism came from the concept of the environmental justice movement in the 70s and 80s. And the University of New Mexico says, and I quote, environmental racism refers to how minority group neighborhoods populated primarily by people of color and members of low socioeconomic backgrounds are burdened with disproportionate numbers of hazards, including toxic waste facilities, garbage dumps, and other sources of environmental pollutions and foul odors that lower the quality of life. This can lead to different diseases and cancers. Because of this, as the fight with climate change worsens, minority communities will be disproportionately affected. These communities, unfortunately, end up being exposed to an unreasonable amount of waste because of race. And this is just me talking after that. Um, so, and these policies to prevent black and brown people from escaping environmental racism itself is intentional this is on purpose these policies were built for segregation so we won't be going in and and going to uh, live a better life in the white suburbs they wanted us to stay out of their neighborhoods because they knew they were better they knew where they were getting the stuff and so if any black or brown people stepped in there it was like you know they didn't want us to be in there because they were racist So these things were created by redlining and redlining is the systemic denial of various services or goods by the government or the private sector, either directly or through the selective raising of prices. This is like the direct definition. And redlining is very clear once you see it. You can tell where neighborhoods and cities have been redlined. Because that's basically what a hood is, a red line community. Literally. The ghetto and the hood have been created by red lining, which is racism that happens in the environment. Literally environmental racism. The government did not, like, the government, basically white people, did not want us migrating into their neighborhoods. And so they just made it harder for us to get there by raising property value to make it unaffordable for minorities. And we're going to get into that more deeper. The University of Michigan states the changing of demographics in urban areas lose permitting requirements and exclusionary zoning laws have funneled racial and ethnic minorities into areas with greater degree of environmental degradation and excessively for um, 
excuse me, and reduce support when urban when urban areas are developing across the country, zones reserved exclusively for residential purposes were often expensive. Meanwhile, mixed-use zones were more affordable, but allowed residential and industrial buildings to build side by side. This led to higher population density in areas closer to environmental hazards. Residents of environmental degraded areas do not or cannot move because of the lack of financial research resources, ownership of current land, and sense of place. So back to talking about making it unaffordable to live because they know, like, they know they are superior and they have more money and are in a higher class than black people because that's black and brown people because that's just the way that this country was built literally to make minorities inferior and they just keep raising the property value up and making it unaffordable that only a certain a certain group of people can move into those homes and they can have their own neighborhoods where they don't have to worry about black and brown people so if that doesn't make you upset or if that doesn't make you say like oh i understand why the way like the world like why the way cities look like that then this 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 should um stir something up cuz reading this and looking at the research and doing the research it's just like i knew some i i knew this was happening but actually looking at it deeper it's just like this been happening from the jump it's all the setup for minorities but on like on the positive side there was a group that was made called the toxic release inventory in 1986 under the emergency planning and community right and community right to know act uh support emergent to support emergency planning and publicize information about toxic waste releases so it can let people know that hey this is this is a uh, toxic area like you're surrounded you're being surrounded by toxic waste and uh on average uh people of color comprise of 56% of the population living in neighborhoods with TRI facilities compared to 30% elsewhere so that needs it's a very uneven amount even though 56% isn't bad but it can be it could be better because everyone needs to be aware of this. And with that being said, if we don't do anything about this, there's going to be more negative factors that play into um, environmental racism. And in the black community, we have a big problem with diabetes and hypertension, especially like in the hood in like in low income communities like a lot, a lot of black people suffer from that because they don't have the access to get what they need and they don't have the ingredients to fill up their fridge with healthy foods because of how expensive they are or they don't have the transportation or it just wasn't built around that community and i talk about that in my second episode with miss zoshi about food deserts and stuff and it's ridiculous 
It's like chronic health problems. That's why the lifespan is shorter. And it's that's like personal because I don't I cannot this cannot be happening at all whatsoever. It's unacceptable. Environmental racism has been deliberately after minorities since the jump. Specifically targeted towards us. And it's still happening. And I feel like we live in a world now where it's all on camera, all recorded, where you can literally see in front of your eyes, even though it took a long time for me to see what was going on and understanding how these things happen. And also, another thing about environmental racism, going back to the uh, inner city, uh, availability, uh, the University of Michigan says also, availability of cheap land in disadvantaged urban centers has led to gentrification and increase in property values that that often makes the area unaffordable to existing residents. And this leads to displacement as well as social, economic, and cultural stress. Literally in New Haven, literally in New Haven, Yale University gentrifies about half of it. And if you're a New Haven resident, you know that for sure. Growing up in New Haven, all you see is Yale's name tag. And not even the name tag. You can just tell when someone from outside New Haven comes in our city and gentrifies it. And next thing you know, you see a, you see your neighbor out on the street homeless because they gentrified it and made it unaffordable for them to live in. So it's not just them trying to segregate us in the white suburbs, making the, their property uh, unaffordable. They're making our own neighborhood unaffordable. So we can't live in it anymore and raising the property value of that because it's the inner city. Like, let that sink in for a minute. They they not happy with us over there in their neighborhood. So they want to and then and it's just no middle ground. So they raise our property values in the in the inner city, in the hood. And then take people out of their homes who've been living there for probably like 50 years. 50 years, maybe even plus. And it's just like, how can you do that? Like, that's literally that person's home. I know I sound like I'm ranting, but this is literally facts. Literally facts that you can, like, in our own city, that you can see it. And... What can we do about this is the big question. Like, who do we bring these to? And that's just been the big thing about all of this. Who can we trust to take care of the important issue about race, which is an uncomfortable topic for people to talk about for some reason? Because they can't handle the truth about it. And it's... and. I feel like the real goal is, and I know I'm kind of like, I'm like a broken record, but the everyday people have to be the hero in this situation and have to do the work for the community because it is our community. And they're just, and we cannot allow them to take away our spaces anymore, especially as me as a black person. 
I don't want my space getting taken away more. More, and it's greedy because it's just greed and money and pride. And we don't want people in office and private institutions coming in and being driven by those three things because that destroys the community and makes them more powerful and 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 basically embraces capitalism and and all like it's just a whole bunch of crap so with that being said i'm gonna end it right here because this i this is getting more and more emotional because of how deep this topic is and the work is never finished but we have to step up because the work will never be done because if no one's gonna step up for us who will we have to and we have to be together and we have to band together as a community inform your friends about what's going on in your community and in the world period we have to be informed we have to be educated so please pass on the word please educate your family and your friends even if they don't want to hear it still push on and keep on keeping on because the fight is never finished all right that has this has been the climate change podcast i hope you enjoy it and uh maybe this will continue but this is it for now so see you